Good morning, today's daf is daf Tess. We're going to go from the third last line of Ches Amud Beis, 8b. Today's shir is Le'ilu Nishmas Ben Sion Ben Ze'ev Avram Halevi. And also, sorry, Etarei Chabastov Ber Yakutiel. May the Neshamas have an Aliyah and may their memory be a blessing. Um, it is also for a full shame of Tzfiyah Kohen Ben Shifra. May he have a complete, uh, complete and speedy recovery. Um, regarding today, regarding the Omer, today is the twenty, uh, the twenty third day of the Omer. Hayom Shloshav Esrim Yom Shem Shloshav Shvuas Yishnei Yomim Ba Omer. Yeah. So just regarding yesterday, third last line from where we left off. Chesam Beis Eight B. Third last line. The Gemara says. Um, It's, uh, we, we, we learned yesterday, we asked, why was the chamber in the Beis Amidash where the Kohanim would keep his seven days of seclusion called the Lishkas Parhedron? We said Parhedron is actually a lowly term, as we'll see, it's, it's, it's just quite lowly offices. Their job was to, it seems they had some sort of tax or, or market control position, but it was a very lowly position in the government and they were changed every 12 months. Why wasn't it called by its original name? The Lishkas Balvati, the nobleman's chamber, which would be more befitting of the Kohanim, of the Kohanim, especially the Kohen Godel. So the Gomorrah answered, which we're going to discuss in depth today, we're going to go more into today, um, is the state of the Kohanim in the Second Temple. Very sadly, it was around for, for we'll see in today's death, it was around for over 400 years and there were over 300 Kohanim. Which means they were dying out at a rate of, um, uh, we'll see it as almost a many for m- most of those three hundred. It was a, a rate of one a year. They would, um, so it was. They were very lowly. And why were they so lowly? Why weren't? Isn't the Kohen Gadol supposed to be a figure we look up to and one of the leaders of the generation? So the problem was that it was very corrupt a system, and whoever was the whoever the king's brother-in-law the richest uh, family, um, etc. They were the ones that got uh, pointed to the position of Kohen Godel, um, off through bribery and corruption. So that was the story there. Now, that's that's why we came on to, that's why we'll, we'll, what we'll discuss most of today is the destruction of the temples and the low state of the second temple. But before we get there, we're just going to discuss a halacha to do with the parhedron. So just before we go into the new halacha to do with the parhedron, um, just to refresh our memory, what's demai? So we know that a farmer, when he harvests his grain, he has to separate truma and then maserishon to the levy. Um, important, as we're going to keep in mind, is of the maserishon that the levy receives, he has to separate truma's maser, 10% of that, as a truma to the kohen. So there are actually two trumas. There's the regular truma that the father gives, and the truma's maser, the farmer gives, and the re- and the truma's maser that the levy gives. Okay, and then there's also maser sheni and maser oni, depending on the year of the shmitah cycle. Now, Rabbi Yochanan Kohen Godel um, sent um, inspectors around the country, and they saw that a significant number of farmers of Amar Amei Aoretz who were ignorant were not particular to separate their masros. They separated truma, because that the Pesach says, 
if you eat tevel, it's misabidation mime. So they took that very, very seriously and they separated truma. But the masters, they weren't careful to separate. So if so, they made a gzaira that if you buy... Now remember, the gzaira is only Durabonim because the Raisa majority of farmers did separate, even Amayoret, did separate their trumas and masros. However, it was a significant number that didn't. So they made a gzaira Durabonim that if you buy grain produce or produce from the Amayoret, you have to separate... You have to treat it as demai. We're not sure what it is. And you have to separate the masters. Master Rishon, Master Shani, and Master Odi. We'll discuss them a bit further. But that is the basic rule regarding Master Shani. So when you go, would go to an Amoret, go to the shop, you buy some of his flour, you'd have to separate the Masroit. Now, Tanan has, um, now regarding the bakers, as we're going to see, they made an exception to the Zayra regarding bakers. So instituted that a baker who bought the my produce only has to separate trumas maser and chala. We're going to go through. Well, yeah. Why would you have to separate trumas maser? So remember, regarding the my, that if you eat, it's still tevel until you've separated the masros. And never mind that, if you don't separate Maserishon, in it is Truma. So it's very severe to eat the Truma's Maser, so you'd have to separate that. Um, Chala, same rule, when you make the bread, you separate Chala. Um, and then it says, Bishlam Truma Gadoila law. Understand why he doesn't have to separate Truma Gadoila. The Tanya, as we learned in Abraisa, Lefisha Shalach Bechol Gvul Yisrael, he set um, sent throughout all the border of Israel, Barah Sha'ei Mafrishin Ela Truma Gadoila Bilvad, and he saw that they only separated Truma Gadoila. This is Rabbi, this is Yochanan Koygodol, who made the Gzair of Demai, sent out these inspectors, and he saw that they did separate Truma Gadoila. Okay, so when you buy grain from Amoritz, 99% of the chance it's had and Truma Gadoila separated, so you don't have to worry about it. Maser Rishon or Maser Oni Namilo. And I also understand why you don't have to separate Maser Rishon and Maser Oni because of Hamoitzi Melchavera Olavarai. If you want to take something from your friend, you have to bring the proof. Uh, what happens here? Demise is Sofek. It's a doubt whether the Amoretz has separated his Maestrot. So you, as the, as the farmer would, or the person who bought from the Amoretz, you would separate Maser Rishon and Maser Oni. You separate it so that the grain is not Tevil. But then it doesn't have any level of Kedusha or Isu. It's just an obligation to give it to the Levi or the poor person. However, here, it's a Sophic whether you have to give it. So since you're the one who's holding on to it, we have the general principle in monetary cases. If you're coming to take it from someone, you have to bring the proof. So the poor person or the, or the Levi would have to prove that we would have to prove that it is that, that the Amoretz did not separate the Masros. And obviously we're assuming that he doesn't know and he can't prove it. So therefore you can keep the Maser Oni and the Maser, um, Maser um, Rishon. Again, the whole question is, are you stealing it from the Levi or the, or the poor person? They'd have to prove it. Um, then it says, Ella Maser Shani Nifrishu Yerushalayim. But Maser Shani, you should have to separate it. Take it up. 
and eat it in Yerushalayim. Remember, Maser Shani is always taken up to be eaten in Yerushalayim, and it's actually also to eat Maser Shani outside of Yerushalayim. So why don't they insist that these bakers, again, if you would buy the Mai, or if I would buy the Mai, or someone else, you would have to separate Maser Shani out of doubt, and take it up and eat it in Yerushalayim. So why don't the bakers have to? So Amarullah will explain, the Parhedron, that's why we bring those beats, would beat the bakers or yeah, pressurize the bakers every 12, all 12 months for Emrim Lohem, Machru Bazu, Machru Bazu, and Loi Itrachinu Rabbanon. Because they would force these Parhedron, these price controllers, who were new ones every 12 months, and every 12 months the story would start again. They would be pressurizing the bakers to sell cheaper. Um. The rabbis didn't want to force the bakers to separate Maser Shani. And my parhedron, what's parhedron? So Porsi, these appointees. So that's why, again, you have these appointees pressurizing the bakers to sell it cheaply. And then if they over and above that had to separate another 10% to take it up to Yerushalayim, their profits would be diminished. It might even work out that they make no profits. So to save the bakers, since it's only a Xerid Rabon, and they went lenient on bakers, and they said they didn't have to. How did it work that these parhedron, why would telling them to sell it cheaper help the parhedron? So I'm not sure, I was thinking, it's not clear, but maybe it's because, maybe they were paid per loaf of bread sold, or per kilo of bread sold, and therefore they want the bread to be cheaper so that the, that the bakers are selling many, many more. But I'm not sure. But somehow it would suit the parhedron, so they would bully the bakers into selling it for cheaper, and therefore they would make no, very little profit. And if they had to separate Master Shani, well, then they'd lose out. So that's how that sugya comes in. Just one interesting question they ask. Okay, but then why do you make them separate Truma's Master? Um, and not only that, gen- let the, like we said by Master Shani, what, sorry, like we said by Maser Oni, Maser Rishon and Maser Oni, that if the Levi or the Oni wants to take it, they have to prove that it belongs to them. So we should say the same thing by the coin. Now, granted, the farmer can't eat the Trumas Maser because it's very, um, it's a severe issue for a non Kohen to eat the Trumas Maser. Oh, sorry, the farmer or the, the baker, granted, he can't eat it, but why doesn't he sell it to the Kohen? So two answers given. Um, one is that we don't want him to hold on to the Trumas Maser waiting to sell it. We might rather make sure he gets rid of it. And anyway, it is just a very small amount because remember Trumas, uh, granted it's 10% of the Maser, it's, uh, it anyway can only be sold for very cheap because only a Kohen can eat Trumas Maser. So it's cheap and we don't want him to delay. So therefore we make him, we tell them that he has to give the Trumas Maser. Okay, let's go on to the next piece. Omar Rabbi Barakhana, Omar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Barakhana said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, I did see what does the possible mean when it says, Yeras Hashem Toysif Yomim, fear of God lengthens one's days, Ushnois Roshoim to Katreno, and the years of Roshoim are cut short. So the Gemara explains, Yeras Toysif, Yeras Hashem Toysif Yomim, Zemigdash Rishon, this roof, this, that fear of Hashem lengthens days, that's referring to Mikdash Rishon, the first base of Mikdash. She Omar Arba Meals for Eser Shonim. It stood for four hundred and ten years. The Loi Shimshu Bo Ela Yud Beis 
Kohanim Gedolim, and there were only 12 Kohanim Gedolim. It's actually interesting here. I mean, the Girs in Algamor is 18. The Girs of the Kroh brings is 12. If you look in Tosvos and you count them in Divrei Yomim, the number seems very different. Some say 8. So there's a very big discussion. What, how many exactly were there? How many Kohanim Gedolim were there in the time of the first temple? But even if you say that there were 18, this huge number, so you take approximately 400, which, but it seems like other girses of 12 or 8 were even more accurate, but you end up, I think, what's it, like 20 years of Kohen Godel. So he probably became a Kohen Godel when he was a bit older, and he served for 20 years. So they served for long times, these Kohen Godel. Which knows Rishon to Katsurenu, and the years of Rishon shall be cut short. The second temple stood for 420 years. The Shimshu Boyosim Mishalosh Melos Kahanim, and it had more than 300 Kahanim. Now, you think that, okay, so each Kohen got a, a few years. He says, no, it's same. Subtract from it 40 years that Shimon HaTzadik, that was the, um, the, one of the Anshayk Nesses HaKatoyle, if you look at the beginning of Athos, one of the Anshayk Nesses, very, very pious person. So he served for. 40 years. And for the 80 years that Yochanan Kohen Godel served. And for the 10 years that Yishmol Ben Pabi served. And for the 11 years that Rabbi Loza Ben Kharsum. If you finish the calculation, it will turn out that he doesn't even. Um, that they didn't even finish their years. Um, t- yeah, so if you add those numbers together, you get like 130, 140. So if you subtract 130 from 140 of these four Kohanim Gedolim, you end up with less than 300 years remaining of the second temple and, and close to about 300 Kohanim Gedolim. So they never, they lived, they didn't last a year. Now he says, now they add in a little bit, the Bach adds in a little bit. So I'll just read it. Omri B'yochanan ben Turta, Rabbi Yochanan ben Turta says, V'chol kach lama, why so, why was it so bad? L'fisha yu lokri moisobotomim, because they would buy their positions with money. They weren't kohanim betolim based on merit, it was based, as I said, on corruption. Um, paid a cup of gold coins until her husband, Rabbi Shoben Gamble, was um, set up a Kahani Ravravi as the coin godal. So that's it, was the sad state of, of the nation in that time. And just they all bring on, I heard a few people bring on this Omar Rabbi Yochanan Turta. It sounds like a strange name, Rabbi Yochanan. The, the, the son of a cow um, doesn't sound like a very sweet name, um, Rabbi Yochanan, the son of a cow. So they bring a story. Um, let me just find it quickly here. Yeah, that basically, there was a very pious Jew who sold their donkey to this non-Jew. The non-Jew, oh, sorry, cow, bought this cow and he worked it and it didn't actually work on Shabbos, this cow. It was used to a day off and it didn't work on Shabbos. He thought the cow was broken. So he took it back to the farmer and told the farmer what's going on. So the farmer, this, 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 this Jew. So the Jew went and he told the cow, you know, I know you're used to resting on Shabbos. 
But now you have a non-Jewish owner, you have to work on Shabbos. And straight away he started working on Shabbos. So this non-Jew got very, very uh, scared of this Jew. What magic, what weird things are going on here, I want nothing to do with him. So the Jew told him no. Um, the Jew explained the story, says no, the cow was used to getting a day off and he was used to that and that's why he expected it and he, he kept, that's why the cow kept Shabbos until I explained to him now that he's not, works for a non-Jew, he doesn't have to keep Shabbos anymore. And the, this Rabbi Yochran ben Tuta, he was so impressed, he was the non-Jew and he was so impressed that this cow had the ability to acknowledge Hashem with Shabbos. And that he, the non-Jew, had no connection to Hashem at all. That he went and converted and became this great sage, Yochanan ben, um, Yochanan ben um, Tutai. So, so now another teaching of Rabbi Yochanan ben Tutai. Why was, why was Shiloh destroyed? Now we know when Bnei Israel went into Eretz Yisrael, so they had the Mishkan was set up in was it, Givon for 14 years. And then it was in Shiloh for many, many years. 300 and, approximately 369 years it was in Shiloh. So the Mishkan was in Shiloh for very long. And they actually made it a semi-base amigdash. Trying to remember, I think we learned that the walls were built up with proper stone. It was just the roof was the cover of the Mishkan. Um, I think that was uh, the way around. Um, so why was Shiloh destroyed? Because of two things. Um, immorality and degrading Kodshim, sacri- sacrifices. Gilu Arayos Dilsiv Gilu Arayos as is written for any Zokon Ma'od Veshom Ves Kol Asher Yasun Bonov Lekol Yisrael Ves Kol Yisrael Ves Kol Ves Sorry Let me read The Eli Zokon Ma'od Eli was very old Veshom Ves Kol Asher Yasun Menov Lekol Yisrael He heard all that his sons were doing to Bnei Yisrael Ves Kol Asher Yishkevun Es Anoshim Hatsoiv Ois and what they were doing to the and that they were sleeping with the woman who came to the entrance of the oil mine. I Eli was the Kohen Godel, the Shofate in those days, and his two sons were, I guess, the leaders under him. And any woman who would come to the temple to offer a korban, they would sleep with him. He says, And even though Rabbi Shmuel Barnachmani says in the name of Rabbi Khotu, anyone who said that Bnei Israel did this sin of adultery, or making a mistake. Why? It's because they delayed offering their birds that these women brought. The Torah views it as if they lay with the woman. I what what happened? Remember, women would come to the temple mostly from being a zava or your lettuce. They would bring these birds to be offered, and the sons of Ali were very disrespectful, and they didn't make sure to offer the korbanos promptly. So the women were scared that their korbanos would not be offered, so they would wait around till they would be till the korbanos would be offered. 
And that delay of them returning to their husbands um, by having to stay an extra night or two in Yerushalayim and not going back to their husbands, the Torah views it as if the sons of Ailes committed adultery with them. Um, and that's the... Um, yeah, and that's that's where we see that it was full of immorality. I heard in a shir, um, but wait, so fine, the two sons of Ali were very immoral, but what about the rest of the people? So he says, no, the rest of the people told, spread the rumors about what they were doing. And we have a concept, anyone who speaks badly about their friend has generally something deficient in themselves. If someone calls their friend... Uh, a bad name is generally themselves so as well. Um, that's why they notice it. So that's, I think there is a similar English phrase, but I don't know, but if you call someone a uh, mumser, it's because they're a mumser. If you call someone a fool, it's because they're a fool. Um, so that same thing, yeah, they called them adulterers, they called them immoral, it's because they were immoral. Um, but again, we see that there was, uh, immorality was spread at that time. These are in Kodshim. Where do we see that there was degrading of Kodshim? So this is also by the sons of Ali. They had this whole terrible system going on in the base in the Mishkan. But it says, Before they even burnt the Chaleb. Now the Kohanim do get parts of sacrifices to eat, but they're only supposed to take them after they've burnt the fats on the Mizbech, on the altar. And one of the young Kohanim, or an assistant of the Kohanim, would come to a person who offered the sacrifice, it says, Tano baso litzlois lakoin, give meat to the kohen to roast. Velo yikach mimcho baso mavushal ki imchai. And do not take for yourself cooked meat ki imchai. Oh, sorry, and I won't take from you cooked meat, I'll take it while it's raw. Vayomer elof ha'ish. And the man would say to the man who offered the sacrifice would say to these uh, sisters, he says, First burn the fats. I want my korban to be offered in the best way. I want you to burn the part that are supposed to be burnt on the Mizbah properly. And then come and join us. Have whatever you want. Says no, they would say to him, we don't, if you don't give it to us, we'll take it by force. And the sin of these assistants was very great before Hashem because they disgraced the mincha of Hashem. I, they first, first, I think there are two aspects. Firstly, Hashem gave the Kohanim parts in the sacrifices and now they come in and extorting B'nai Israel to give them more. It's very disrespectful and disregarding that you Treat your sacrifices, Hashem's sacrifices, as the opportunity for you to um, make a bit of extra money by distorting, and you end up discouraging people from bringing korbanos. It seems that towards the end, it might have been that very few people, or people would, as much as possible, not go to offer sacrifices in Shiloh because of this. Um, that's the one aspect. The second aspect is. When you're busy in a korban, you offer the korban to Hashem first before you concentrate and worry about your share in the korban. It's very different. The primary reason of a korban is to, as a sacrifice to Hashem. And here they would, before the, the fats were even being burnt on the altar, they were busy trying to get more meat for themselves. 
So they were, it was a very sad and lowly state, and that's why Shiloh was destroyed because of those two Averas. Then it says, Mikdash Risha, Mibnei Macharva. Why was the first base Amikdash destroyed? So Mibnei Gimel Dvorim, because of three things, Shehoyubo, that they were involved in in those times. Avoda Zorah Gilo Arayos, Veshvichos Dobim. The three severe Averas of idolatry, adultery, and murder. And we're going to bring a source. He says, "Avod Zorah Dilsiv," as it's written, "Ki Kotzer Ametzah Mihishtoreh." The couch is too short to stretch out on. It says, "My Kotzer Ametzah Mihishtoreh." What does it mean that this couch is too short to stretch on? Omer Biyochanan, Biyochanan says, "Kotzer Ametzah Zeh." This couch, this base Hamigdash, is too short. Mihishtoreh Rolov Shnei Reim Keechod to have two um, two counterparts dominate in it. I, the, the base Hamigdash is too short to hold Hashem and idols. If the Jews aren't focused and dedicate, aren't dedicated to Hashem, they're trying to stretch their the what they're serving, what the base Amidash represents, then it will it, it's uh, that's what it um, alludes to is um, the, it was too short because of Avodah Zorah, and then that apostle continues and the cover is all tangled, it's all bunched up. And it can't cover. So Amr Rabbi Shmuel ben Achmani, Kimati Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yonasan lahai kro. Rabbi Shmuel ben Achmani said when Rabbi Yonasan would reach this pasuk, Bochi, he would cry, Omar, and say, Man dilsivbei, the one Hashem who was written regarding him, Koinez keneged mehayam, he could gather up all the waters of the ocean. Asis lo masechet zora, he has an idol as a zora. I he takes the word vahmasecho, the cover, and reads it as masech. Vahamisko, the coven, reads it as Maseicha, an idol. But again, Hashem had a rival in an idol amongst the Jewish people. So that's the one of era. Gilu Arayos, Dilsiv as it's written, Vayomer Hashem Yan Ki Govu Benos Tzion. Gilu Arayos, as it's written, Hashem said, because they were arrogant, the daughters of Zion, the Telchon and Tuyos Goron, and they walked with outstretched, um, with an outstretched neck. Or and what straying eyes, walking like they were floating, and their feet shot out venom. Um, now we're going to go through each of those phrases and explain, but basically it's verses alluding to how the Jewish woman of that time, even the married woman, would walk in a way that would make them stand out, make them look more beautiful, and seduce other men. He says, What does it mean that they were haughty? A tall woman would make sure to try walk next to a short woman to highlight how beautiful she looks. They walked very upright. What does it mean that eyes were, um, were straying she says they used to put on lots of makeup. Um, interestingly, here that it's the play on the word is mis, um, mis, mis, If you look at that word, you could almost read it as mascara. So that's the that's the drosha here. Mishakros, um, mascara. They used to put a lot of makeup on. They used to walk like they were floating. They would walk with very small steps. They're only as big as their toes lining up with their heel. Not sure exactly how that's, but it's again, it's in a way that uh, is is uh, strutting, seductive, 
um, and uh, purely to seduce other men. What does it mean that they they used to put these passes more in a parsimon in their shoes. And when they would be walking near the young uh, Jewish boys, young Jewish men, they would stamp their feet to make tizos alayhim, and then this, these uh, perfumes would spray on them. And the yetzahara would be uh, awakened in them like spitting poison. Um, so that's where we see that they were very immoral. And the last one is, the third of was Shvichos Dami murdered the Chsiv, as it's written, V'gam Dam Noki Shofoch Menashe Harbe Mo'od Menashe spilt much, much innocent blood. Adashe Mole Yerushalayim Pele until it filled Jerusalem from one end to the end. Obviously, that's uh, metaphorical, but there was lots of uh, murder and bloodshed in Bnei Israel at that time. So those are the three sins that the Migdash Rishon was destroyed. Interesting enough, we don't have time now, but we can we need to analyze that there are a few other Gomorrahs which might describe other things. The one famous one is in the Dorim. It says what's the reason that they that the Beis Hamidash was destroyed is because they learnt at least with the explanation of the Ran and the Ba, is that they, the reason the first temple was destroyed is because they learned Torah not as the holy wisdom, but as just another wisdom. Um, and uh, they learned Torah as a training ground to outsmart people, etc. Things like that, as a, as a training to outsmart people, etc. They didn't learn Torah because the Torah is special um, Kodosh from Hashem. Um, so how do you tie that in with this Gemara? And there's another Gemara I'm trying to remember slip a mind, but there's another Gemara that gives another reason why the first temple was destroyed. How do they tie together? But I think just very simply, one common theme is, um, as we'll see, the people of the first base Amidash were to a degree Tamidai Chachomim. But it never ever, they didn't say Birchas Torah first. The Torah didn't sink into their hearts and minds because they never ever learned it as that. And therefore they could be Tamidai Chachomim. They could learn lots of Torah. But they could, they they were still involved in these affairs that totally detract from the essence of being a person. The Maharal explains how these correspond to the three main parts of a person. Avodah is his mind. He should be using his mind to connect to Hashem, to serve Hashem. His seichel, and now he's using it to connect to another God. Um, Gilo Arayos, immorality. There he should be using his body to serve Hashem and he's using his body for the opposite, to uh, degrade it. And the third one of Shvichot Dami, murder, that's totally going against the nefesh, the soul of a person. I guess you can almost say only someone without a soul could murder. Um, but at least, or it's destroying, it's not seeing the value of the, of the soul in other people that someone would be able to murder them. So at the time of the temple there... It's almost as if their uh, their whole being had been twisted to serve um, away from Kedusha, away from serving Hashem. Okay, Abal, then we move on. Abal, They were busy, learned lots of Torah. They did lots of mitzvahs and they did chesed. So why was the second temple destroyed? Because there was sinas chinam. Um, unwarranted hatred. The Lamda Khoshkula Sinashinam and this teaches you that Sinashinam is equal to Kenegit Shalashavaris Abodizar Gilaraz Bashvikas Damim. 
to I had very, very pious people who were like, we know the famous thing about the second temple. It was destroyed because of their um, because of their hatred for each other, their lack of care. Interesting, I saw Art Scroll point out that if you look at it, the hatred doesn't have to be such a strong hatred. Um, what they, they use the word hatred. But it doesn't even have to be that strong if you look at the stories and you look at the sources of what's considered hate. For example, the Torah says anyone who doesn't speak to their friend within t- to another Jew for three days out of an argument, that's considered hatred. That's not hatred. That's just a little bit of a fribble that you don't speak to someone for three days. It's because you're, you're a little bit uh, insulted. That's not hatred. So hatred is a strong word um, that we use, but it seems it's even just a disconnect between the Jewish people. But this is this is a most phenomenal, phenomenal line. It says that we saw what could cause the destruction of the first temple. As I explained, a total erosion of the holiness of a person. Their, their mind, their body and their, and their soul have been taken away from Hashem. That's the first temple. That's uh, And the second temple what destroyed, what, was, what caused the death of the, the, the destruction of the second temple? Just Jews not getting on well with each other. And we see how severe, um, how severe it is. Um, as we're going to see, one of the things, yeah, we'll see, we're going to add on to the severity of how um, aspects of the severity of the second temple, but it's something we have to really think about. Is, I mean, that's the Kolos we in, the exile we in is from the Second Temple. This, we obviously haven't repaired and improved on what we need to improve on. Um, but again, it's this problem of Sinas um, Chinam, Jews not getting on with well with each other, is as severe as the Gimel Hamuras that can cause the destruction of the Temple. Okay, so the Gemara continues, says, Rishoyim Hoyu Elish they were Rishoim, but they actually trusted in Hashem. Also, Amigdash Rish on that point is going back regarding the first temple. The Siv, as it's written by the first temple, Roshel Beshoichad Yishpoitu, their heads, their leaders judged through bribes, and Kohanim only issued taught halacha for a price, and Nevi'im only divined for money. And they relied on Hashem saying, Hashem is in our midst, and no bad will come. And no bad will come. And therefore Hashem brought against them three decrees against the three Averas that they did. Because of you, Sion, um, Sion will be uh, plowed like a field. Yerushalayim miyim, and Yerushalayim will be in ruins. Miyim lebamos yoar, and Harabayis will be like a, the heart of a forest. Um, so there was no bad. I was just thinking, how? What is it? It's, it sounds like a good thing that they trusted in Hashem, and now we're saying that they got punished because of it. So no, their trust of Hashem was totally misplaced. They basically, I think what you could maybe explain, is that they believed that it's ridiculous to assume that Hashem would destroy his house. The base of Mikdash is Hashem's house. And as long as we have the base of Mikdash, we can do whatever we want, but Hashem's going to be there. Hashem's going to stay there and He's going to live in our midst. But that was very misguided. That was due to their sins. They didn't realize that it's, uh, 
What it's a privilege to have Hashem uh, dwell amongst you. Um, you're telling me that in the first temple there was no sinas chinam v'hoksiv el cherev. They were fearful of the sword. Beat your thigh in pain. Says this refers to people who would be eating together and they would be stabbing each other with the swords of their tongues. Uh, they'd be eating and they would spend time together and they would insult each other. So it sounds like there was sinas chinam in the time of the second temple. Who when you say Yisrael who have no, that was with the leaders of the Jewish people. The Siv Zark Vehilel Ben Adam Kihu Oiso Bahami. The Tanya and the Brisa teaches Zark Vehilel Ben Adam must mean cry out and wail and moan. Man, Yochel Akol. It sounds like it's saying all men. Says Talmud Lomar, He Bechol Nisi Yisrael, which is what happened amongst the princes of Yisrael. But either way, what that pasuk is bringing out is that. You're right, there was a bit of sinas chinam, but it was more amongst the elite, the, the noblemen, etc. It wasn't widespread. Okay, so that, yeah. Now, a new point regarding the destruction. Says, the earlier generations whose sins were revealed out in the open, the end of their, of their golos was revealed. As we know, the first temple from when Nebuchadnezzar invaded till they were given permission to rebuild the temple was 70 years. So the, the sins were in the open and their end was open. The Achronim whose sins was not revealed. Remember the hatred, sin is largely in the heart. It's not an open thing. The end of their exile was not revealed, and we're actually still in that exile. This is interesting. What's the severe, Why is there? What's the advantage of the sin in the open? So one, I think the simple answer is that it's actually showing what's much worse. Loshen horas in aschinam. These averes of how you relate to other Jews in your heart is worse than these averes of how you treat them physically. Granted, um, avoid um, murder sounds pretty severe, and Arias of severe and just regarding service of Hashem, Avoid Azori is the most severe, but at the end of the day it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's revealed and it's not as bad as, as how you view other Jews in your heart. Um, but there are other explanations of what the difference is. One is we find similar to a Ganav and a Gazlan. We know we say that a, someone who steals secretly has to pay double what they stole, whereas a Gazlan, someone who's just um, out in the open, steals in the day, Hijacks doesn't care, he just pays back what he stole. So, and Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai explains that no, because a Gazlan is not afraid of man or Hashem, he just doesn't care. He's prepared to steal in the open, he's not afraid of people, and he's prepared to steal, he's not afraid of Hashem. Whereas a Ganav is afraid of people but not afraid of Hashem. So that's an added dimension to that very Not only are you not scared of Hashem, but you're more scared of people than Hashem. That's a total distortion of uh, logic. So that's why, um, so maybe it's the same thing here. If someone, people who are prepared to do that various in the open, I just, just don't care. Whereas someone who's only does various in secret that are hidden in their heart, they, they care, um, they only worried about, they have this added sin of 
disrespecting Hashem in that they show more care for what people say. Yeah. I think another one is in some ways it's much easier to do tshuva for an Avera that is out in the open. Because it's it's more niskale also means like clear, revealed. It's in the open, so it's a clearer avera, and therefore you can do tshuva. These things of the heart of do I deserve to hate that person? Look what he's done to me. He's insulted me. And sinas chinam. A lot of these averas are much more subtle, and much harder to do tshuva. They buried in your heart, and you easily convince yourself that you're in the right, and you're justified. Um, so that's a very hard um, though that's much harder to do tshuva for what is a more I guess we could call it subtle hidden Aveira okay but there's obviously a lot more to discuss on this the nails of the earlier generations of the people of the first temple was greater than the stomachs the insides of the latter generation I remember a nail is a very lowly part of the body. It's almost totally insignificant. You do whatever you can to cut it off and get rid of it. But and a stomach and your kresor, that's essential to the person. But this, but the shoinim was so much greater that their nails were more significant. I says, no, the latter generations are better. Even though they were subject, they were subjugated by other kingdoms, they still learned Torah. And they have that added bonus is that we learn Torah even though we governed and dominated and ruled by other people. So Amalei Biratokhiah. We'll look at the Bay Samigdash, The Bay Samigdash, the early the people of the first temple got to rebuild the second temple. Remember it's seventy years apart. Many of the people saw both temples. Um Shalu whereas the second Bay Samigdash has not even been rebuilt. So you tell me what's better. They asked Rabbi Elazar, who was greater, the early the people of the first temple or the people of the second temple? So look at the base of Migdash. Um, if you look at the, the actual destruction of the base, the first temple was much less. Whereas the destruction of the second temple, it was totally, totally uprooted the whole temple. It could Omri, some have a slightly different version. Omar Lohem Bira. The temple is your is the wit bears testimony. Either temple got rebuilt for the early generations, the temple still has not been rebuilt for the latter generations. Reish Lokesh have a Sochi be Yarden or Reish Lokesh was swimming in the Jordan. So Rabbi came and stretched out his hand to help him out. So Rabbi Reish Lokesh says, You know, God hates you. He hates the Babylonians. Um, why? So, what Rashi explains is that basically, I mean, the num- not not all this. This is an elaboration on Rashi. Basically, only just o- about just over forty thousand Jews went up at the time of the second to rebuild the second temple when Ezra was going to rebuild it, and hundreds of thousands, if not millions, remained in exile. They didn't bother going back to Jerusalem, um, and. This, this reluctance of so many Jews to go back to Eretz Yisrael and rebuild the temple caused a lesser dimension of the Shekhinah in Bnei Yisrael. And that's why he says, God hates you. You prevented the Shekhinah from resting fully on Bnei Yisrael. Dixiv, as it's written in Choymahi, if it's a wall, if all Bnei Yisrael come together 
bit by bit to build the wall, to, to be a wall. I will build a silver crown for you. If it's just a door, I'll just put a seed, a plank on it. And the, he explains, If all of you would have gone up in the time of Ezra, if you would have been comparable to but where there is no rot in it, I, there would be no less level of Hashem Shechina in the second temple than the first temple. Now that you made yourself like a partially open door, I, that only some of you came back, there's a breach. And you're now comparable to a cedar which rot can set in. My areas, what's this uh, comparison? So Omar Ula, Sasmagor, this burrowing, this worm that burrows into the wood. My Sasmagor, so what's the comparison there? So Omar Ibi Abba Baskol, it alludes to the Baskol. Kedatani, as we learned in Abraisa, Mishamesu Nevi'im Achroinim, when the latter Nevi'im died, Chagai Zachari and Malachi. But there was still a baskol. Um, so what do we see? There's, there was a due, it seems largely due to the lack of the of all the Jewish people going up to Eretz Yisrael at the time of the rebuilding of the temple. There was a huge and the Shechina didn't rest. In the first temple, and up until the second temple, there was prophecy. A ha-ha level of communicating and connecting uh, godly to Hashem and godliness in the world. But after that, in the second temple, the best they had was a bus call, a much lower level of um, vision from Hashem. A bus call is literally, generally say, a heavenly voice, but it's a low level of Ruach HaKodesh, unlike in the first place of Mikdash. We don't have a chance to go through it now, but I saw Archgall have a very interesting um, note on this point, on the difference between the Kedusha and the the Kedusha and the Shechina's presence in the first place of Mikdash and the second place of Mikdash. There were aspects of Hashem Shechina and miracles in the second place of Mikdash, but the first place of Mikdash was just uh, the level of Hashem's presence and the Shechina and the miracles that occurred there were Phenomenal. Okay, just to go back to the story, remember how this part begin, began is Harish Lakish was swimming and Rabbi Babar Huna, sorry, Rabbi Babar Khana came to help him out. So it says, Harish Lakish, Mimi Bahari Rabbi Babar would Harish Lakish have spoken to Rabbi Babar Khana while he was swimming? Rabbi Loza was one of the greatest sages of every Israel, but Rabbi Mishtai Lakish Bahari Harish Lakish wouldn't speak to him. Someone who would speak to Bashuk in the marketplace, people would get involved in business with him, he would become so trustworthy and have such a good reputation that Reish Lakish spoke to him, he would get, um, um, people would do business with him without even having witnesses or contract. So would he have spoken with Rabbi Malchana? Basically, remember Reish Lakish's life started off as a bandit. So he was known to have lots of, um, what's the word, um, unsavory colleagues and unsavory connections. So when he became, um, when he became, when he did tshuva and became uh, Tamur Chochem, he actually stopped communicating with people in public. 
so that no one would think that he still had these connections to these uh, unsavory uh, gangs, to no connections to gangs or the like, and criminals. So, that, but he made a very, very rare exception for huge. And he wouldn't speak to regular people because he didn't want people to think he was still associated with the gangs of his past. And he didn't speak to great people in case he speaks to some and not others and they get insulted if he doesn't know who they are, etc. So he just, in general, he wouldn't speak to people in, in public except on very rare exceptions. He wouldn't even speak to Rebbe Lozor, who was the, obviously in the base Medrash. In, while learning, then he would engage with all different people and speak to them and learn with them and teach them. But this was in public. So when he was swimming, he, he wouldn't have spoken to Rebbe Lozor, who was one of the greatest sages of Israel, and he definitely wouldn't have spoken to Rabbi Babar Khana. So he says, Omra Papa Shari Gavra Bene, yo, you got the wrong person. Oresh Lokish Havev Ziri. Either the story with was with Resh Lokish and Ziri. Ziri was uh, on a whole different league. He was known to be extremely pious, very, very well known, and therefore Resh Lokish would speak to him even in public. Oi Rabbi Barchana Havev Rebbe El. Um, Elazar. Maybe it was Rabbi Barchana, and maybe the story was Rabbi Barchana and Rabbi Elazar, not Rabbi Barchana and Reish Lakish, but it couldn't have been. Okay, we'll leave it there for today and we'll continue tomorrow.